feel my bumpy head. What was that? <laughs> Again, I had just press record. <laughs> we were in the grocery store. We were in the grocery store and there was a dog toy. And there was a sticker on it that said, feel my bumpy head. And we almost peed ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel the bumpy head? No. I don't understand. But... Imagine someone walking up to you on the street and asking that. <laughs> We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Okay. All right. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. This is Bonnie. This is Anna. This is new. I didn't know we were doing this. She sprung this on me. (laughs) I think we should practice sometimes. (laughs) We should do that not when we're recording. Yeah, we should work that out sometime because we are really not very classy about our openings. Really aren't. I was actually thinking that the other day that we we need to say who we are. Have a little, yeah, and we should do a little back and forth. (laughs) Sing at the beginning of every episode. We do a duet. Like we said last time, you pay us money not to do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, lucky episode are we on? Lucky 13. 13 13 is actually one of my lucky numbers. It actually is. I I enjoy 13 because I enjoy prime numbers. (laughs) I don't know why. 13 and 17, they're my buds. You're such a nerd. They're my buds. You're such an intelligent nerd. I do want to say at the front of the episode this time, instead of just at the back half Mm -hmm. when we're signing off, that if you are listening to this, listeners, should we have like a, a name for our listeners? All four of you? How many did we have last week? Twelve? Should we just name each of them? <laughs> yeah, we'll name each of them. <laughs> just go through the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, like like a like a collective name. Like um Freudsters. Or Sipsters. <gasps> Sipsters. That's a that's Sipsters. a good one. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Sipsters. So Sipsters. If you're listening to this, uh, remember to rate us and review us and subscribe to us and all that fun stuff. I usually say that at the back and I will say that again, but I want to say it up front because in case. if you're anything like me and you're notorious for like ending an episode like 30 seconds before it actually ends because you're like, ah, they're just going to talk about stuff I already know. But I'm saying it now. Do it. And also don't do that because we say important stuff right important to the very stuff. end. <laughs> right to the end. Spoiler alert. Sometimes there's Everything even a teaser we say, at the end. Oh, I know. Toward the end, sometimes we ramp up. <laughs> Depending That's on our time. Depending on what we're drinking that day, by the end, we get hilarious. <laughs> should we, before we get into the episode, should we say why today is maybe a weird day for me to be drinking? Yeah, let's, let's talk, let's, let's talk about your life experience. Talk about what's happened to me today. Do a little self-disclosure. I've gone through Anna? a trauma. There was a, a trauma. A little trauma. A self-chosen trauma. It was true. So I gave blood today. And what happens when I give blood is I feel very faint. 
<laughs> I feel like I'm going to pass out. And usually I'm fine. Usually I have a little bit of the tunnel vision and then it just sort of passes and I eat a little snacky snack and then I'm fine. <laughs> that was not what happened today. <laughs> Mom and I have lunch before we record this. So she had planned to pick me up at about 11.30 and I was texting her about that time like, oh, they just started taking my blood. You know, it'll be a few minutes. And they got done at about 11.45 and and I was like, okay. And I sat up to text mom and my vision started to get a little hazy and I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine. And I was texting mom and then I closed my eyes and then I opened my eyes and I was laying on my back. That's not a good sign. (laughs) No, and everyone was around me and they said, are you okay? And I said, yes. (laughs) why are you asking i'm fine how are you i'm fine thanks thanks for being so concerned (laughs) so they were like is the first time you've given blood and i said no i said oh i get a little it still hadn't occurred to me that i was sitting up a second ago and now i'm laying down and there's a fan blowing on my face and there's like four (laughs) people around me looking very concerned very upset And I I was like, I always get a little faint when I give blood. And they're like, you went beyond a little faint. And I said, oh, no. So they they did not let me leave for a while. So we were a little late going to. A little late. In the meantime, I had said in a text to you, oh, duh, I can't believe I'm asking you to text me when you're giving blood because you're busy giving blood. Your arm is busy. And you had texted me back saying, I can text with my left hand very slowly. But in the meantime, she's passing out. So I should have probably said. before I passed out. Yeah. I wasn't Mm -hmm. passed out texting you. Gosh, mom, I'm a little busy right now passing out. Don't be alarmed, mom. Oh, these children. I didn't even know. I still don't. I mean, like, I remember right up until I passed out and right when I woke up, but... Passing out is a weird thing. Yeah. It's a weird experience in life. Yeah, I've never actually passed out before. I think that was the first time I've ever passed out, passed out. Mm. I'm fine. How are you? (laughs) I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. That's what she does. I'm fine. On the upside, though, Anna, good job. Good job for giving the gift of life. Yep. If you're getting some primo Anna (laughs) Keller blood... Know that I went through hell to give it to you. That's yeah. fresh from a passed out person, is that blood? But you're okay now. Mm-hmm. Now I'm drinking a delightful drink. We have a special drink today. Yes. Anna made a special drink for us, and I don't know yet why we're drinking it, but it's very good. Did it's... I tell you what it's called? No. Oh. Okay, I just let you drink it, and like I'll tell you when you're halfway done. You just said it was a theme drink like, yes. for the episode, so I was we have anxiously... We have done this once before during our Pavlov episode. We drank a salty dog, mm-hmm. and today we are drinking a rum relaxer. Oh. Yes. Rum it's relaxer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's got white rum, and it's got pineapple juice, and it's got a little bit of grenadine, and it's got lemonade, so it's very fruity, refreshing. It would be a good summer drink like to have Mm -hmm. outside Mm -hmm. sitting outside in the summer Mm -hmm. we need a little umbrella yes yeah it said to have a cherry and an orange wedge on the side but i'm not that fancy sorry mom why are we drinking a rum relaxer today because life is stressful (laughs) and we need to relax and our topic today is a very broad topic that we're going to kind of skim over the top and give you some information, a lot of information about, I'm doing my hand motions. (laughs) She's doing so many hand motions. (laughs) Our topic today is anxiety. Yes. And if you think that sounds like a lot to talk about, you're right. It is. You're right. You're right. So we are really not going to be going into detail on a lot of this stuff because quite frankly, when we were talking about doing this topic, we were like, well... 
we could probably do a whole episode on that and on that and on that, like different types of anxiety. So we'll probably do that at some Mm -hmm. point. But right now we kind of just wanted to do like an overview of the types. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we we <laughs> talked about before we decided on this topic for today, we talked about how, you know, in life there are some words that we overuse, like love, like, you know. Yeah. And that's kind of a thing. Well, you know, the word love is so overused that we don't really know when we really mean it. I don't think we use it enough. I think we should use it more. <laughs> I, I kind of agree with that. But sometimes when we use a word, we overuse a word or we overgeneralize it. Maybe that's a better way even, to say it. How do you want to? Maybe overgeneralize. Like overgeneralize. We use it enough that we don't know what it actually means anymore. Okay. That makes sense. And I feel that way very strongly about the word anxiety because as a counselor, when someone comes in who truly we can diagnose anxiety in that person, that's mm-hmm. one thing. But then, you know, when you're just hanging out with your friends and six out of the seven are telling you about their anxiety probably not all six of those seven actually have anxiety per se maybe not six but like a lot i think anxiety is becoming much more common especially in the younger generation Mm -hmm. i do think anxiety and depression are on the rise i don't know the actual statistics but the world is just harder yeah there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. there's a lot in the world to be anxious about Yeah, and I think that that's one of the biggest things that I see is when kids are anxious, they can point to like, okay, but look at all the terrible stuff going on because that information is so readily available Mm -hmm. that we kind of reach our like caring capacity. Mm -hmm. Like we care about the entire world and we have, we're, we're like at capacity and because we can't care about all of it and help everyone, we get anxious. Right. So I feel like that we maybe even should start by talking about how it's different to just have, everybody has stress. Yeah. Life has stress. How do I know that what I'm feeling, what I'm going through is not just everyday stress, everybody has this, and when does it cross a line into, I have anxiety and I need to do something specific about this. I need to get help with it, maybe Mm -hmm. is the way to put that. So we've talked several times on our episodes about that line that you cross with mental health that if something that's going on in your life is causing you to not be able to function at what would normally be your level of functioning. So if it's interfering with your job, it's interfering with your relationships, it's interfering with your the things that you find pleasurable when you cross that line then you know that you're into a territory where you maybe need to get some help right that's a hard line too because i am such a proponent of mental health counseling that even if you are just experiencing stress instead of like a diagnosable anxiety condition you should still see a counselor. it's useful to have a counselor even if you just have life stress exactly To be able to process that and have somebody help you through it. Right. Exactly. So I just wanted to start with a couple of things that I read that I thought were kind of like, oh, that's a good little definition. There was one that I liked. This was like a quote from the National Health Service website. And it says, stress is the feeling of being under too much mental or emotional pressure, while anxiety is a feeling of unease or worry or fear. I would kind of add to that more that stress is... I don't know, correct me if I'm if you think I'm wrong here, Anna, but stress is more like I can point to what the source of the stress is. And anxiety is often goes into a territory where it's like, I don't even really know why I'm feeling this way. Right. And it's a lot internal. It's a lot of your own internal thoughts and feelings more than an outside source. The outside source might trigger it. 
Right. But um, Which can be a hard line if you don't know much about yourself and why you're having the anxiety is mm-hmm. that like you can point to a thing and be like, well, that's giving me anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Maybe that's a stressful situation. But if your reaction is above and beyond, then maybe it is turning into anxiety mm-hmm. instead of just stress. As I was kind of doing my research, I came across terms I had not heard before. So I'm interested to see if you've heard them. Mm. State anxiety and trait anxiety. Have you heard that? Oh, she just like got a thousand yard stare. I remember hearing it though. Really? I do. I do remember hearing it. In Maybe it just kind of fell out. One of, of those. Because I've never heard it in my. One of those classes. <laughs> somewhere. With me? Uh, no, I think it was undergrad. Because <laughs> okay, I'm like, yeah. oh, shoot. If yeah. we've heard it together, <laughs> that's very bad news for me. Maybe you were on your laptop while I was very carefully listening to the lecture. I listen to lectures. Have you seen my notes? <laughs> okay, tell me the difference between state and trait. Well, it's kind of what you were just talking about. That, mm-hmm. like, state anxiety is anxiety about an event, basically. And trait anxiety is just anxious as a person. Mm. It's so, your personality trait. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. A significant way to look at it too is that if you feel like if you feel very stressed like let's say there's a lot going on at work and you have a lot of deadlines and you're feeling all the stress and then the deadlines pass and you've accomplished your goal and you feel the stress immediately lifting that's different than anxiety because anxiety is something that still lingers there even after the stressor is passed right or like you said if there's no stressor right if you're just kind of sitting around going why am I worried there's nothing to be worried about there's nothing happening one of the things that we talked about before we started was that for me when I look at this topic I feel like there's so many like oh that's a fine line oh that's a fine line yeah even just between the word stress and anxiety there's a fine line and then you look at all the different diagnoses of different anxiety right and it's like well that those two kind of blend together and sometimes you have them at the same time and sometimes they overlap yeah yeah so there's a lot of that going on in this topic that we're talking about today. Yeah. A lot of overlapping. I mean, the nice thing about kind of going back to what you said about overusing the word is that it has really opened us up to be able to admit when we have anxiety, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, I know there's still mental health stigma. I think we're going to be struggling with that for a long time, but like I have a Tumblr account and there are a lot of anxiety jokes on Tumblr, mm-hmm. like people joking about how their anxiety feels and how they deal with it. And the fact that we can be so open about that, it's I think n- is a step in the right direction. It's normalized it. Yeah. It's one of the paragraphs I read that said something about mental illness and I was aware of even my own bias about that word mental Mm. illness you know like and even as a counselor because I think when we think of mental illness we think of the big ones we Mm. think of schizophrenic and Mm. bipolar and those words that have become scary because of how people misuse them yes and how people misrepresent those illnesses and even those illnesses that people think of as scary are not dangerous in the way that people think they are but we have just kind of I mean that's where the stigma has come from Mm -hmm. but I think that anxiety and depression too are getting to this place where people can kind of use some dark humor about it and kind of normalize it which I think is very helpful to people going through it I had a client one time say to me when we were talking about her anxiety she said so does that mean that I'm mentally ill Mm. because we do we have and you're sitting there like 
technically. Uh, yeah, because that I that mean, term is scary. Yeah. I mean, when you hear that term, mentally ill, you think of all those scary movies and right. all the, you know. And so we've made that word have such a negative connotation. Right. So What I would have said is, no, it means you are struggling with a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Like, I think even that you, slight distinction is like, mm-hmm. no, this is just something that you have. Right. I mean, like, when you get the flu, it's not like, does that mean I am flu? (laughs) Am I influenza? No, you just, you have the flu. If you are, I don't like you at all. I am influenza. I have become influenza, (laughs) sneezer of worlds. Should I give you some stats? Yeah, do do the stats, baby. Do the stats. I just have some quick. So when we talk about anxiety becoming more common, what I mean is it affects like 40 million adults in the U.S. aged 18 and over. So like 12 to 18% of people in any given year are struggling with anxiety. This is a weirdly wide statistic. 5 to 30% of people. That's a really dumb that statistic. That is a broad range. <laughs> That's a it? really dumb set of numbers. Five to 30. Five to 30, somewhere in there, we don't know, will experience anxiety in their lifetime, some type of anxiety. And females more likely to experience it than males, but it usually develops before people are 25. Mm-hmm. I would say nowadays it develops before people like are in college. It's a stressful time to be a student in America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. But people, like I said, are good sports about it. So there is more joking about it. And there's more talk about here's what anxiety is like for me. And there's more talk about, I would hope there's more talk about healthy ways to deal with it. I think we're kind of in this point where we are teaching each other and teaching ourselves kind of how to cope with it. Mm -hmm. I still think you should go to therapy if you feel like you're struggling with anxiety. But I think we're in this place that, like I was talking to someone the other day and and they were like, I think I kind of taught myself some of these things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you mean self-talk and stuff like that? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I think I kind of just taught myself how to do it. Well, because I think because of social media and the way that we are now in our society and we talk about those things. I was thinking about that too, that part of my notes is to talk about things to do when you have anxiety which hopefully we'll talk about later on in the cast but that's basically when you go to therapy that's what your therapist is going to do with you they're going to give you some coping skills i think it's funny that you call it a cast and i call it pod (laughs) (laughs) together we are a podcast All our social media is Freudian said pod. Mom's over here like, yeah, the cast when we do the cast. Yo, the cast. Hey, the cast. We got to tape the cast. <laughs> okay. Now I feel like a total failure. <laughs> no. I've started I'm to sorry. have all I didn't kinds mean to give you anxiety. Anxiety. Good here. news for you, Mom. <laughs> Segues into my next uh, statistic. Oh, anxiety is super treatable. Oh, good. Very treatable. And like mom said, we will talk about the treatments later, but only like 36.9% seek treatment. Don't be one of those. That don't Other seek ones, treatment. yes. Whatever that number would be. Uh, Something six. Listen, I've only got seven eighths of my blood in my system. <laughs> I can't do math. And now the other eighth is being filled with <laughs> with the yes. rum relaxer. There's, my blood has more alcohol than content <laughs> in it right now. All right. Do you have any other statistics you want to throw out there, baby? I think that's it, baby. Okay. Should we like talk about some of the types, like the diagnoses that are specific? Should we kind of? Zoom? Um, I kind of want to mention first that, and this is kind of harkening back to something we've Wait, talked about. Wait, I gotta already. say something. Wait, I've gotta say something. No, I really had to say. No, something. really. What do you say? <laughs> I'm your mother. You need to listen to me for a minute. Wait. I've noticed that quite often when I say, oh, should we do this? You say, no, 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 no. 
<laughs> I think you're getting even with me for I, your childhood. Is I seem to remember two days ago when you said, hey, Anna, can you make the outline for the episode and send it to me? So if you're going to let me make the outline, you're going to let me follow the outline. <laughs> that's, that's how this game is going to play. I remember Ma'am. when you were little and you were not near the sassy, but you were always sassy. I couldn't talk yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right as soon before as I you talk. started talking, it all went downhill from there. The sassiness Downhill for who? For me. Oh, sad. No. Mom. I love your sassiness. I have anxiety now. <laughs> no. Well, you gave it to me first. <laughs> okay. Wait. Hey, I want to say something. If it sounds. <laughs> I want to say something. Okay. It's your turn. If it sounds like we're joking about anxiety during this episode, it's because we totally are. I have anxiety. I struggle with anxiety, and I joke with it all the time. Like we mentioned in our last episode, that's one of the ways that I cope with it the best is by Mm -hmm. joking with it. So if you're listening to this and you don't like coping with anxiety with humor, don't listen to this. Because we cope with everything with humor, so that's who we are. Yes. But we talked about that in our last episode. But you probably wouldn't want to listen to the cast. (laughs) (laughs) Not oh, <laughs> burp revenge. Yeah. <laughs> well, my mic just smells fruity. Okay, where did you want to go, my love? Take us there, my sweet daughter. <laughs> my wonderful knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally buy it now. After Miss, my life went downhill after I had a child. I didn't say that. I said after you start talking back. <laughs> Don't misquote me. Okay. This first year and a half was bliss. <laughs> All right. I wanted to talk about something that we've actually talked about before. We talked in, uh, so we have an episode about phobias. Mm-hmm. Is that three? I want to say it's three. Yes, it was episode three. Huh? You're so smart. So we talked about kind of how certain stress and certain anxiety is useful to us. How when we're experiencing certain types of stress, it drives us to do something. And mom and I were talking about this before that like, if you have a deadline coming up, you are going to feel stressed about that. That's a stressful situation. Mm -hmm. If you have something like a job interview coming up, you're going to feel stressed about that. It's a stressful situation. But that stress is a tool that we use to incite us into action, basically, to motivate us. Because if we weren't stressed about it, that would mean we didn't care about it. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't care about it, we wouldn't do anything about it. So there are some types of stress that are useful. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to what mom said about, like, you need to be able to figure out what is stress and what is anxiety. Because if it's getting to the point where instead of driving you to do something, it is stopping you from doing things, that's when it becomes a problem. That's a really good point. So it's only when it gets to be too much, when it gets to be too out of proportion, then it gets to be bad. And there's a study, and I'm going to thank friend of the show, Michelle, for this one. She pointed me to this. It was a longitudinal study of like 4,000 people. And they started when they were kids and kind of followed them throughout their lives. What they found, what they were hypothesizing, was that anxiety in kids would reduce the risk of accidental death. Hmm. So they basically confirmed that. Lower anxiety was associated with higher accident mortality before they were 25. So basically, like... They weren't worried about anything, so they just went for it. Yeah, kind of. Or they made more reckless decisions because they weren't anxious Hmm. about it. But (laughs) this is the bad news. So, like, if you have more anxiety, it's associated with a higher non-accident mortality mm-hmm. after age 25. Mm-hmm. Specifically cancer, according to some of the other studies I found, there's a higher risk associated with people who have anxiety and getting cancer. Isn't that weird? Because we can't really... I mean, there are some things that we say help to cause cancer. Right. right? I think what it is is just stress. Stress is bad for our bodies. Right. 
And sometimes stress is okay. But if Mm -hmm. we are in a constant state of stress and constant state of worrying and anxiety, Mm -hmm. it's going to wreak havoc on our immune systems. It's going to not do great for our health overall. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to be bad. But that is all the more reason to seek help. Because if you can get your anxiety under control, then you will reduce your risk for those more serious diseases later on. Mm -hmm. One of the things that stuck out to me was that, and this kind of goes along with that health idea, is that when we are stressed, when our body is stressed, we produce more adrenaline Mm -hmm. and cortisol Mm -hmm. and norepinephrine. It's hard to say right now. (laughs) But we hear a lot about cortisol in our society because that's that one that's kind of linked to weight gain and and all that. But the idea is that when our bodies were, you know, designed, in my opinion, by God, (laughs) when God designed our bodies, those things were supposed to help us get out of trouble. Like, you know, they're stressed, you know, because we're going to get eaten by a lion and we have those things to help us to fight or flight thing. Right. But they were not made to continue what you just said. They weren't meant to be there like every single day. All the time. Right. And so when those, those hormones are raging every single minute of your day that are supposed to only be there for brief times for you to fight or flight then yeah it's going to have a negative effect on our I've had to talk about that with clients who have anxiety that they're like I'm just so tired all the time I'm like yeah it's because you're stressed all the time Mm -hmm. like and I have to explain to them that like the hormones in your body are out of whack because of the amount of worry in your system basically I know after I have an anxiety attack, I just want to sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to go to bed. It's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. It just takes it out of you. So when it gets to that point, that's past the helpful point. That's right. way past. That's when you should have already gotten help. Right. Please, please go get help. So the thing that we talk about every single time we have a podcast is the self-awareness piece. Yeah. And so that's this big, huge part of this is to monitor yourself and say to yourself, okay, well, how do I feel? you know, in the morning when I wake up? How do I feel in the middle of the day at lunchtime? How do I feel at night when I get home from work? And if you are feeling those things, then Mm -hmm. then maybe it's time to check in with someone else and with a healthcare professional and ask, you know, what's going on there. I got a smartwatch recently, and one of the reasons that I wanted to get it was because it has a heart monitor built in. And so one of the ways I monitor my stress throughout the day is I'll, like, look at my little heart monitor chart and be like, whoa, why was there such a spike there? What was going on? And like, whoa, okay, I I seem really calm here. What was I doing? So that's a good (laughs) what? Or whoa, I was passed out because I was giving blood. (laughs) Why did my heart almost stop? My heart rate was 20. No, it was not. It was actually very close to my resting heart rate. I don't know what was going on. I think I literally just took a nap and they don't understand me. (laughs) They just wanted to let me not live my life. I'm just resting my eyes. I just wanted to take a little sleepy sleep and they did not get it. Oh my goodness. I'm fine. Okay, okay, okay. I'm so... Okay, okay, okay. Tell me about the types. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to start with the type that we call generalized anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty broad. It is. I think this is the kind of anxiety that people are usually talking about when they talk about anxiety. I think so too. Like this is kind of what's in their brain. It's kind of like a big net that can catch. Yeah. And so you might hear it referred to as like... I actually had a client come in the other day and say, I think I have... Actually, what she said was, I think I have GAD... And I kind of looked at her and I thought, is this something I don't know? And then Josh Gad? She said, that that guy that was in Frozen? (laughs) You have him? He's here? Where is he? I went to his Where is he? And then she said, you know, G-A-D. And then I kind of started getting it. And then I was wondering, where is she? She's been on the internet It's like when some people call podcasts casts and you're like, (laughs) where did you learn that? (laughs) 
I like to play a game called, how can I make mom leave the table? <laughs> you are very close to being victorious. She's like gripping the edge moment. of the table. <laughs> She's trying to hold on to it because otherwise she'll walk away. <laughs> we really do love each other very much. <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell you about generalized anxiety disorder. Please do. I will. Okay. <laughs> Shit. We're just going to be like, this is your passive aggressive. Number Please 13, do. we finally I love came to the generalized one. anxiety disorder. Tell me about it's it. It's so important. Jeez. We're, we're done with each other by 13. <laughs> I want a new partner. <laughs> so generalized anxiety disorder, the way I think of this is I kind of put the word worry with it. Yeah. Because, you know, there's kind of a difference between being anxious and being worried. The The definition from the DSM talks about having excessive anxiety and worry, apprehensive expectation. I like that part of it. And it goes on for a while. It can't just be, you know, for a couple of days or when there's something stressful happening at work. It goes on and goes on for at least six months, actually, as part of the criteria for it. it. What we've talked about before, it has to be affecting like your work or your school mm-hmm. or your social life. You're going to be having symptoms about it. So symptoms like, <laughs> I know that was that word. You're going to be having symptoms. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's it. <laughs> You are giving me way too much shit. <laughs> there. Oh, man. You didn't make me leave the table, <laughs> but you made me cuss. Okay. <laughs> and I've just about had it Now I'll shut up. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm done. That's generalized anxiety no. disorder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my face oh, is my so hot. <laughs> Oh, I'm so warm. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. No, I think, <laughs> I I do think like, so when I see tweets or anything about anxiety, some of them are like, the brain goes, oh my God. And the person goes, what? The brain goes, it's going to go wrong. And the person goes, what's going to go wrong? And the brain goes, it. Like, <laughs> Everything, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Just, I don't know what. Just whatever it is. Right. Just we can't really point to a thing is that it's just the free floating stuff. It doesn't really have a cause and you can't really point to something. Like you said, there are things that are going to make it worse or better, but it's not like you're worried about a thing or a person or an event. Right. It's just you're worried. It. Right. Right. (laughs) Which makes it so much harder. I mean, in a lot of ways, some of the other types that we're going to talk about are a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Because you can say, I feel stressed and anxious when I get into this situation. So then you can prepare for that situation or you can avoid that situation. Usually that's not the best option, but you can prepare for it and you can understand it. If it's just generalized anxiety and you don't, don't know where it's coming from, you're like, how do I even start to deal with this? Exactly. That's so exactly it can be right. really hard. And generalized anxiety disorder usually starts, or often starts, I guess is the way I should say that, during the teen years or young adulthood. Makes sense. And and again, back to that word worry, that your worry is out of proportion, that you always think the worst thing is going to happen. Right. And that, as Anna just said, that there's no obvious stressor and it's just general. Right. And that's why it's called generalized, I guess. So yeah. And I, I don't know about you, Anna, but I have had several clients with that diagnosis because it kind of covers it's all, it's a, it's anxiety. It's a lot. Yeah. So when you're not real sure if there's a very specific kind of thing going on there, generalized anxiety is kind of where you go with the DSM. So. Right. 
Yeah. It's, it's pretty kinda, easy it's to kind of a catch all. Yeah. I don't really want to call it that, but it kind of yeah. is. It's fairly simple to hit all the criteria if you're a person with anxiety of any yeah. kind. So, yeah. Yeah. Even if it gets specified late, like if you're kind of working with them and then right. later you figure out, no, it's just when I'm in social situations, then you can be like, oh, well, then it's this. But right. Exactly. Okay. So speaking of social situations, the next one on my list is social anxiety. Is that the next one on your list? Yes, because you because set me the list. list. <laughs> I have a list right here. Oh, yeah. she. Oh, hear that? I'm going old it's school paper. today. It's paper today. Maybe that's why she's giving me so much crap. I give you just as much crap when you have a computer. That's true, you do. Just different kind of crap. <laughs> okay, social anxiety. I'm having a little social anxiety about being with my daughter today. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. I don't consider us... I don't consider this a social situation. <laughs> <laughs> don't get out much no like i i don't and i've said this to my husband too that like i don't have the social anxiety because that's 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 where mine manifests the most but like i don't have it when i'm with you or when i'm with gabe when i'm with my brother when i'm with my husband like i just don't because i don't really consider you guys outside of me (laughs) i kind of consider you part of me so it's it's like if i'm comfortable enough with you it doesn't really yeah affect me in that way that makes sense but social anxiety is the most common type of anxiety after specific phobias, which we have already covered. But social anxiety comes from the fear of being criticized, of being embarrassed, of being humiliated in front of other people. It could come from like speaking publicly, which I would kind of consider that verging on phobia. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about that specifically during the phobia. Right. But it could also come from more mundane things like small talk or like eating in front of people i mean just kind Mm. of being afraid that you will be judged in a social situation is where this comes from basically just interacting with people and it acts sort of similar to a phobia where usually the person with social anxiety will try to avoid the situations and as i said that's probably not the healthiest thing because we as humans need social interaction we are social creatures that's how we have built societies and built cultures i mean that's we were naturally drawn to that and we as humans the way we developed is that we need that culture and that interaction right so when anxiety is causing us to avoid that it's unhealthy but it's not agoraphobia so agoraphobia is where that's kind of the oh they're not going to leave the house that thing that media is portrayed but that's when you're like specifically scared that you won't be able to escape a situation because you're afraid that you're going to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack and you won't be able to escape public scrutiny mm-hmm. so it sounds similar but it's not it's this not is similar. the thing i was talking about though that there's so many like they get the very yeah, they close. Get real close yeah. to each other yeah. And like you said, there could be overlap, like uh-huh. agoraphobia could. Because if you're in a social situation, you have a panic attack one time, and then, and then yeah, you right, like develop cross, some sort yeah, of agoraphobia. Yeah. So there's usually a lot of overlap in these kind of things. And it can, like I said, it can look really similar if it's involving avoidance. If you're just avoiding social situations, it can look a lot like you're just kind of holing up in your house. This one's easy to spot, though, the social anxiety. Like, I was I was talking last time about, like, getting all sweaty when we were talking about something that's making me nervous. <laughs> but that's, I mean, like, you sweat, you'll blush a lot, you will probably have some difficulty speaking, like, you, you might trip over your words and stuff like that when you're trying to interact with somebody. So there's a lot that's kind of easy to spot about this one. I feel like the, this is one that's kind of abused by our society. Like, it's normal 
to feel a little awkward when you go when sure. you're a teenager and you go yeah. into a social situation it's normal to feel stressed it's normal to feel like especially when you're a teenager stupid? oh my god yeah an adolescent it, it's normal like, when or, you're an adolescent everything. public ridicule is part of your life right public scrutiny is just what's on your mind right so but i but yet I've heard several adolescents say, I have social anxiety. Mm-hmm. When in reality, and they might, I'm not saying they don't because they're not my clients, so I haven't worked with them. But quite frankly, that's one of those words we've thrown around a little much. And we have adolescents who think they have social anxiety when in reality, they're just dealing with the fact that life is hard when you're an adolescent. Right. And you worry, well, I, you know, I've got this new zit and everybody's going right. to look at my new zit. Yeah, you know? I definitely had people who have said that to me and I'm just like, no, you're just a weirdo. <laughs> like... <laughs> I get it. I'm a weirdo too. That's why I feel anxious sometimes. But well, because in in there's just a certain level. Even when you're a fairly confident adult, there's a certain level of stress when you go into a social situation. Right. Like, and I mean, I would hope this is true because I do have a podcast and I do talk to people for a living. But I consider myself pretty socially competent. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I joke about being a weirdo, but I I do think I am pretty good at holding conversations with others. I have to do that for a large portion of my job. Right. But when I get out of a social situation, I will often like if Nathan was there with me, I'll be like, "Was I Replay weird? It. Yeah. It. Was I? Did I handle that weirdly? Mm-hmm. Was I? Did I do something wrong? Do you think they didn't like me?" And he'll be like, "Shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're fine. You were yeah. fine." And he'll have to he'll kind of reassure me and he'll help me kind of reality check. Like, mm-hmm. no. It, they didn't interact with you weird. You didn't interact weird with them. It was fine. But my brain is like, those people are judging you for some reason. Even if logically I think I'm socially competent. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the roots of anxiety is that it goes against what you believe logically. So you can logically know that not everything is going to go wrong. It's not like the sky's going to fall. It's probably going to be fine. But your anxiety is going, nope, nope, nope. Everything is going to go badly. It's going to go terribly. And they're going to hate you. And like you're, you're going to mess up. And, and that's not only with social anxiety. It's with all kinds of anxiety that mm-hmm. it goes against logic. And sometimes you have to do some logic checking. Right. Ask yourself if it's rational. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. What's next? How about separation anxiety? Ooh, yes. Separation anxiety. <laughs> do we have a... <laughs> I have that. <laughs> You're ready to kick me to the curb, if but we, I would have a separation Absolutely not. Anxiety. If we have a week where we can't have lunch, I'm like, oh, I don't like it. No. So if you're listening to the podcast and you have little children, infants, especially around three or four years old, mm-hmm. we need to first say it is perfectly normal for little people like that to have separation anxiety. Children, infants, especially up to around four years old-ish, depending on the child's maturity level, mm-hmm. will have some mild distress when they leave their main caregivers, their parents and or grandparents or whomever they are used to hanging around with. And so that clinging and crying and saying, please don't go thing is perfectly normal. And quite frankly, it's a sign of good attachment. Right. It's a sign that you have bonded with your child because they care that you're leaving. So... To some extent, if it doesn't get too out of hand, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it shows that you have a good relationship with your child. But if I could just throw this in as a past teacher, (laughs) the best thing to do in those situations, mommies and daddies and grandmas and grandpas, is to not linger and harp about it and say, oh my goodness, you're so sad. It's okay. I'm coming back. (laughs) You just, you, you reassure them that you are coming back. You give them to their competent caregiver and you get out of the room because that is a normal thing. But then once they feel safe and they're okay 
most children will adjust to that and it will be okay. They'll chill out. They'll be like, ah, right. they're gone. Oh, they're gone. Right. Okay. Okay. What's I'll this play over with here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, paint. Yeah. So if you have a child who is dealing with separation anxiety and they're well past four years old, that's when you start to be concerned that they have a serious issue with separation anxiety. And actually, separation anxiety disorder that's explained in the DSM, adults of all ages can have this disorder, but it kind of feels the same way. And it's that idea of fearfulness of losing someone or something because we are separated from them right and even as an adult we might feel that fear that we're going to lose someone we love i think it's almost kind of the reverse for sometimes as adults for those of us who have children and i can relate to this i don't have the disorder i don't think but i can relate to the, at least the feeling of when your children are not with you when your children are adult children and they go their separate ways and you do have that feeling, that fear of, well, what if something happens to them when they're gone? What if they don't? And so as our children age, it's kind of the parents who come up with the separation anxiety. Yeah. You know, kids go to college and we have that <gasps> emptiness. That's where that, that helicopter parent thing comes in. Exactly. You were not one of those. I want to be clear. Mom was, Thank mom was not Thank you for clarifying parent. that. But even that feeling, to an extent, is normal. So if you're in that stage of your life where your children are going off to college and you're feeling like, oh, I feel like my heart's breaking, that's pretty normal. That's also a loss of role. I mean, that's also a loss of... There's a lot going on there. I've been a caregiver for Mm -hmm. 18 years or 20 years. Your life is... Got to find a new normal again. So, But separation anxiety, I thought, you know, I think it's important to mention that that might be something that's playing in. If you have a child who is doing school refusal and, Mm. you know, like even middle school kids... a big one yeah school refusal is a big thing I get a lot of you know several of my clients who are like middle school age that I see there's school refusal going on in one in one way or another yeah and I think sometimes not I I haven't seen much of this but that's one of the things that we want to look into and then eliminate it if it's not what's happening right maybe they're afraid and so then we go back to well what caused that what caused the separation if they didn't have it until like middle school so then you look into like was there a loss did someone die in the family and don't overlook pets dying because for not only children but adults too mm-hmm. a pet dying that's a huge thing can be a great source of grief that can lead to some separation anxiety sure well you know i lost this person well then who am i going to lose next and so and again that idea that we talked about that with anxiety it's kind of hard to put your finger on where is that coming from the person feeling it they might feel like what is that feeling that every time it's time for me to go to work. I have this anxiety and I don't want to leave my wife. Well, maybe if you've had a death in your family recently and, and you subconsciously, go back to the episode on Freud, you subconsciously are, are feeling, God, what would I do if my wife died? You know, yeah. what would I do then? So separation anxiety is something that can happen to people of any age. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to, again, when you know that you need to maybe get help is when it is interfering with your everyday functioning. Like so if you're not going to work because you don't want to leave your wife, right. then That's go see an help. issue. Right. It's sweet. If you just have <laughs> no. some of that, like, oh, I really don't want to go, but I'm going to go. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you're handling it. That's right. okay. It feels bad, mm-hmm. but you can handle it. You know, kids, it can kind of go both ways. It can go that they don't want to leave their loved one. It can also go, um, especially with older kids and adults, um, having like a fear of being taken away, like a kidnapping kind of Hmm. thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of physical symptoms that go with separation anxiety. So, and you and I have talked about this, and and we can kind of put it in several of these categories. The physical aspect of kids saying they have a stomach ache or kids saying they have yeah. a, a headache that with especially younger children they don't know how to put into and let's face it even adults 
Sure. Sometimes we don't know what we're feeling. Right. But we feel bad physically. Right. I have a kid right now who's like nine or ten. I can't remember. But she, I mean, they like took her to the doctor because she was having such bad stomach pains. But it turns out not to have a physical source. It's it's anxiety based because she doesn't want to go to school. I mean, hers is hers is not school refusal. She still goes, but she just has such anxiety that it works into a physical stomach ache Mm -hmm. and like you said kids don't have the vocabulary to say i'm feeling anxious but they do know their tummy hurts right so that's usually how it will look for kids and so we want to be careful because i specifically mentioned the school refusal thing with separation anxiety when we're trying to decide if that's really what a client has one of the things we think about in all kinds of diagnoses, we try to uh, rule out anything else that might be there. Right. And so with school refusal, it could be a lot of different things. Right. You know, that's just one of many things that could be happening with your child with school mm-hmm. refusal. So, Yeah, there's a lot of variables there. Right. So one of the symptoms of or one of the things that come out of separation anxiety are panic attacks, which we'll talk about in a minute. That's a very significant thing that happens. Right. But another one is... Selective mutism. (gasps) What a great segue. (laughs) (laughs) What is selective mutism? So selective mutism is kind of exactly what it sounds like. Someone can speak. A person who is diagnosed with selective mutism is capable of speech. They're physically capable of speech. They're just, they just don't want to do it. They don't want to talk right then. (laughs) Because there are certain situations that they don't want to speak in that often comes from the anxiety, especially social anxiety. Mm-hmm. So it's to the point where even if they're experiencing like shame or ostracization, how do you say that word? Wow, that's hard. If they're experiencing they're being shame ostracized. or they're being ostracized, <laughs> there you go. They're still gonna, they're still not gonna talk, even though they're experiencing these negative interactions because of what they're doing. It's not as bad as talking. It's not as bad as talking would be. So they're going to have certain situations where they are not going to talk, even though, like, and usually it is at school. And then at home, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They'll talk to their families. It'll be it'll be okay. They'll talk like normal. But when they're at school, and it doesn't have to specifically be at school, but that's very common. So they're just not going to talk then, even if they get called on, even if they have to do something, they're just not going to. There do, is, help me understand what that does for them. I mean, why does that make them feel I mean, not I, speaking? I think to understand it, we have to know that there is such a high comorbidity with social anxiety. Comorbidity just means something is happening at the same time as something right. else. So there is a very high comorbidity with selective mutism and social anxiety to mm-hmm. the point where I found like three or four studies where the correlation was as high as 100%. Wow. Yeah. So like everyone they looked at who had selective mutism also had social anxiety. And if we think back to social anxiety, the fears that we have from that are being humiliated or being embarrassed. So I think, and I don't know because I don't really know much about selective mutism, what I would guess would be that if I don't talk, there's no way they can, I can embarrass myself. There's no way they will think I'm weird or I will humiliate myself or anything like that. Because if I just don't open my mouth, it can't happen. So it's kind of like eliminating a variable, basically. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, as we know, it's it's maladaptive. It doesn't work. It's not healthy. It kind of makes them look weirder and be, mm-hmm. you know, kind of embarrassed more. But they just get it in their heads that it's, nope, it's not worth it. Mm. Not worth it to talk. I would think that would be very hard to overcome. I think so. 
All right. I really don't have much about okay. that because I don't, I didn't. So the other thing that I mentioned was panic attacks. Mm-hmm. We sometimes call it panic episodes. I read something one time that said that we are evolving into calling it panic episodes instead of panic attacks. Why? Because you're not such a victim. Like a panic attack, you're always a victim of it. A panic episode is something that just happens. Yeah. Okay. I'm just really used to calling it a panic attack. I know. Attack. I'm not going to be able to stop calling it a panic attack. <laughs> and so quite honestly, most people will have at least one panic attack in their life. Yeah. A, a time when something happens that is so traumatic or so upsetting for you that you have what we would, if we looked at it from the outside, would say that's a panic attack. That does not mean that you have panic disorder. No. In order to have the panic disorder, it has to be an ongoing thing that you deal with. So let's just for just a second talk about what a panic attack is like. I mean, to me, when I think of a panic attack, I think of like a heart attack, basically. It feels kind of physically like a heart attack. Right, right. I've had to kind of go through that with clients who are like, it can't be a panic attack. It feels like it's physically happening. And I have to right. be like, yeah, that's what a panic attack is. Right. Like, it feels like something's physically happening to you. Like people often mistake panic attacks for heart attacks and stuff like that. And for... Yeah, uh, that was one of the things I read was that a lot, a lot of people who experience a panic attack for the first time will go to the hospital because they think they yeah. are having a heart attack yeah. or, and it or feels an like asthma attack. Can't or catch a breath and can't it feels breathe. Like all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, this can be, as Anna said, this is one of those things that's comorbid with so many other parts right. of anxiety. So, you, you know, you, you can be diagnosed with one of the other, um, with a diagnosis of anxiety of one sort or another and have panic attacks with it right. or you can be diagnosed with panic disorder. And there are a few that have panic attack specifiers that right. specifically say, like, you have this disorder and it causes panic attacks. So right. so the DSM does allow for that. So if you've ever had a panic attack or a panic episode, you you know exactly what you we're talking about. You know what it's <laughs> it like. Sucks. Um, and usually, it, for most people, it is linked to some kind of trigger, something that happened in your environment that caused that to happen. But it doesn't have to necessarily be because that can be part of the panic disorder that right. you just have a panic attack out of nowhere. And Anna referenced before that often that's part of agoraphobia that you... Yeah. A, that you've had a panic attack in the past possibly for some identifiable reason right. but since you had one mm-hmm. now you're scared to have it again and just the fear of having a panic attack might bring on a panic attack unfortunately like it's a exactly. vicious cycle it is a vicious cycle and so one of the questions is like why do some people have them and why don't and there's research that shows things like that panic episodes do seem to run in families but they don't know if that's because of genetics or because of environment. Because if you've grown up with a parent who has panic attacks, you've kind of basically learned that that's what happens when you freak <laughs> it's just out. What happens you know? when I'm stressed. Yeah, right. And then, of course, you know, the, the experiments that have been done to show that some of our brains are just wired differently for fear responses. Or if you've been through a trauma and so your brain has literally been changed uh-huh. because of the trauma. And now you're more susceptible to having those panic attacks. So there's a lot that goes on. One of the things that I thought that really caught my eye, maybe it's because right now I'm having a drink, is because <laughs> a lot of people, when they have panic issues, they think, well, I'll, I'll numb down by either drinking or, or taking some kind of a substance. But ironically, usually alcohol and drugs make panic make attacks worse. worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's not a wise choice to try to self-medicate, to try to get through the panic disorder because it's really going to put you further down. Right. That's not a good idea. The best way to cope with panic attacks is to be self-aware that that's something you do. Yes. And literally say it to yourself. This 
this is that thing I do. Yes. And then I, to, I've had this before. Yeah. I I've know it doesn't it kill before. me. Yeah. Exactly. And so then you, if you go to, to counseling, you'll, you know, you'll work with your therapist on some mindfulness exercises and some good CBT stuff that's going to help you to some ground the tools. To kind of bring you back to reality, mm-hmm. basically. And as corny as it sounds, we go back to the deep breathing thing. I mean, really? it's been overplayed, you know, and kind of made fun of, but it works. Yeah. Just breathing and focusing on your breathing. Yeah, breathing correctly. I mean, part of panic attacks is like that. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. No. Like that's, no. if you can consciously make yourself slow down your breathing, it mm-hmm. will get you out of the panic attack much faster. And I have a little client that, well, she's older now. She was a younger adolescent when I first started seeing her, but she was so good and is so good at, she has learned that her coping mechanism for her panic attacks is that she plans ahead. She knows that there are certain situations that cause her attacks. And so she's like, I'm just going to have a panic attack. Right. Then. So That's she's like, okay, gonna I'm, happen. I'm going to this dance and that usually happens. So I'm going in there knowing if it does happen, this is my plan. I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna do this or this, and so she. I bet that's really good for a specific yeah. situation. And she yeah. and so if it does happen, she's got an escape route. But I think that a lot of times, for her at least, knowing that she's prepared helps her not have a panic attack. Right. Because the fear of not knowing what's going to happen is the biggest Big trigger one. of all. The, it's kind the of that fear like fear of the unknown. Prepare for the worst, expect the best sort of situation. Exactly. Like if you know you have a plan, then the worst that could happen is you have to follow the plan. Exactly. Okay. Because I said, do not drink or do drugs to get over a panic. I'm following my little Anna outline. Okay. The next one says about substance and medication-induced anxiety. So just very briefly to say, there are many medications that cause anxiety symptoms. Yeah. I mean, including like things that we take for migraine headaches, things that we take for asthma, yeah, um, if you're if caffeine you have can started, cause yeah. anxiety. If you have started a new medication, you are experiencing way more anxiety than usual. Mm. It may be worth saying it to your doctor, even if you're like, "Well, that's nothing to do with it. I'm taking it for, you know, migraines." Right. Like, that's nah, worth mentioning. It. Yeah, if you're taking some kind of medication and you're feeling anxiety symptoms that you didn't have before you right. were taking the meds, it it very well might be a side effect. And that's in the DSM-5, it's substance-induced disorders. It also refers to the times like when you are taken off of a medication, you have withdrawal. Yeah. That you have that withdrawal anxiety and all that crazy stuff Again, that goes with worth that. mentioning. Just as a safe bet, everything is a symptom unless you know it's not. And you <laughs> usually don't know it's not. So if you especially, I mean, one of the big things I have with any of my clients when they start or stop a medication is, okay, a big chunk of our sessions are going to be figuring out if you are having any symptoms about this. Mm-hmm. Symptom- Did I just say the same thing that you said? Symptoms mm-hmm. about it? You'll have symptoms about it. <laughs> no, you'll have symptoms about it. Karma's hard, man. <laughs> Comes back around and bites you in the butt. There it is. There it is. I used it. <laughs> like a it's mother, gonna like a daughter. It's going to be a thing now. <laughs> having symptoms having about symptoms it. symptoms about it. Yeah. But no, you will like be experiencing <laughs> symptoms. And it's, it means the same thing. It does mean the same thing. You don't have to be all... It's, <laughs> Hoity toity. You'll have symptoms about it. And you should tell your counselor and your doctor. <laughs> tell them you're having symptoms about hey, it. Hey, I'm having symptoms about a thing. <laughs> what are you having symptoms about? All right. Should I go into some things that I'm just going to very briefly Please touch do. on? I'm going to touch on phobias and OCD and PTSD. So the reason I'm only touching on especially phobias. That was me touching on it. 
Oh, <laughs> mom just licked her finger and then put it on my table. So now there's a gross mom spit circle on my table. I did it again just because you called my spit gross. I used to go I and don't wipe know. your face off I with that spit. I don't know what you were doing. I, if I didn't know what you were doing, it wouldn't have been so bad. You were like testing to see how hot the testing table was. Testing your OCD right here. I guess. <laughs> okay. So. Phobias. This has been an odd episode. I know. Phobias. I'm not going to talk about this because we jumped to the gun on this one. We did phobias in episode three. We did not know, I guess, that we would be doing because they were exciting one. to talk yeah, about. We just so. wanted to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, be sure you listen to episode three. It was a good it's, one. it's fun. So I'm not going to go into that at all. Just just listen to the phobias. Mm-hmm. Just episode three. Just mm-hmm. go listen to that. I'm not even going to talk about it. I am going to talk about OCD and PTSD, which are not things I think that people think of as anxiety disorders, but they used to be qualified as anxiety disorders. They used to be in the anxiety disorder category. In the DSM-5, they aren't. In the DSM-5, PTSD is a trauma and stressor-related disorder, and OCD is its own thing entirely. So obsessive compulsive disorders are, are its own classification of disorders. But the main reason they used to be qualified as anxiety disorders is because there is a big anxiety component with both of them. Sure. So in PTSD, obviously, when you go through a stressor, then you are going to experience anxiety about the stressor or about certain situations or about there is a big component to you are probably going to have anxiety associated with this, but it's kind of built in. And likewise, when we talk about OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, obsessions are basically anxieties. And when we have an obsession or an anxiety, we have to do a certain thing, so a compulsion, to get rid of the anxiety. That's basically what OCD is. And so it used to be qualified as an anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they both definitely have the anxiety components, but they are specific enough that they have turned into their own thing now. And they are not any longer classified as anxiety disorders. We should definitely do like separate things on those. Oh, right? for sure. There's a lot to big, talk about there. Big, fluffy subjects. Right. But now I kind of want to talk about treatment. Please or... do. Obviously, therapy is very important if you have anxiety. And I know a lot of people who choose to do therapy and choose to not do like medication or anything. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. If you can manage it without medication, that's great. That's your personal choice. And therapy is the best way to do that. So one of the best ways that therapists find to kind of approach this is what's called CBT. I think we've talked about CBT before. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. And especially for anxiety, we talk about the cognitive part. This includes things like positive self-talk. So if you have anxiety about something and you can say, okay, I've been through this situation before. I know it's going to be fine. I have someone with me, like your person with panic attacks. Like Mm -hmm. I know I have a plan. Reminding yourself of those things is Mm self-talk. So that's something that a lot of people find very useful when they are having anxiety or think they're going to have anxiety. Mm -hmm. Thought stopping is another CBT technique that's really important. So when you notice yourself having these anxious thoughts, If you are self-aware enough, you can notice that it's an anxious thought. Mm -hmm. You can say, that's from my anxiety. I need to cut that off right now because I know it's not based in reality. I know it's something that's just from my anxiety disorder and I don't need to listen to it. So that's what thought stopping is. 
but also things like art and play therapies are very important for kids who are having a hard time like you said they just don't have the vocabulary they don't know how to express it's not like little kids are going to sit on the couch and talk to me about their anxiety Mm -hmm. like it's very helpful to have activities that they can do to kind of put their anxiety into and put it into a more digestible format especially like visual like kids really like visual stuff Mm -hmm. I don't know about you but I do this thing I have this little like bracelet making kit in my office and if I'm really noticing that a kid is having anxious thoughts we'll do like a positive mantra bracelet so we'll like make a little bracelet and then each color of the bracelet will be a different like positive thought about themselves Mm -hmm. and so they can like look at the bracelet and go through the colors and go through the positive thoughts if they're having anxiety that's Um, cool that's a cool idea calm down jars are another big one that's really like and that can be really good for anger too if like kids are dealing mm-hmm. with anger but you make a calm down jar and it's basically like you shake it up and there's glitter in it and the glitter gets all flustered around and then they sit and they watch the calm down jar until the glitter settles to the bottom mm-hmm. and you can there's find like pinterest pinterest i was gonna say there's yeah. lots of ideas there's about lots of calm down jar mm-hmm. recipes on pinterest but mm-hmm. yeah so those are some good ones for anxiety that kids just need a way to like kind of set aside time to mm-hmm. focus on being chill Mm-hmm. Something I do with a lot of my clients is I try to externalize the anxiety brain. I don't know if you do this. That's like one of my favorite things is to be like, this is your anxiety. Like it's kind of conceptualizing the anxiety as a separate entity that lives in their head. Mm-hmm. And just being like, this is not really you, not really you, you that's mm-hmm. having this thought. It's your anxiety saying it to you. And you need to talk back to your anxiety and say, that is not true, mm-hmm. you know, because our anxiety, if it if it is kind of running rampant, is going to tell us things that aren't true. Mm-hmm. And that's not really a thought that you're having. It's a thought that your mental illness is saying to you, basically. Right. I just kind of use a different word with it, and I say irrational thought. Yeah. That's an irrational thought, or that's the irrational thinking. And, yeah. But that externalizing the problem is really important. Because I think that goes back to, oh my gosh, am I mentally ill? Right. I mean, I guess in all technicality, sure, mm-hmm. but you are dealing with a thing that is not you right it is a part of you maybe but it's a part of you that you can control if you don't think it's like oh it's just all of me and i can't have any say over what it tells me like you can you just need to work on it medication is also very important and again this goes back to like if you are going through therapy and you still feel like your anxiety is just out of control you cannot get a hold of it you may need to look at medication mm-hmm. as as a way to get over that. And it's not something that needs to be a bad thing in any means. Like, I think a lot of people who talk about getting medication for depression and anxiety, they're like, well, I don't want to put extra things in my body. Mm-hmm. And what I have to say to them is, you're not. You are putting in your body what neurotypical, basically, like normal. I don't want to say normal. I don't like the word normal. Neurotypical is a good way to say it. Neurotypical. Like people whose brains function on the average, the brains already do the things that your brain's not doing. You're not adding more things. You're getting your brain up to par. Right. So that's that's how anxiety medication works, mm-hmm. basically, is it gets your brain functioning at a regular level. Right. That's like a diabetic saying, I don't want to put insulin yeah, into put my insulin body. Yeah, insulin a foreign substance. Right. Like, no, but you, your yeah, body's your not body doing needs insulin. to have insulin, right. So, yeah, it's not a weakness. It just helps no. us to hit a spot where our body functions no. at its best. Yeah. But like you've said more than once, 
you know, in the end, it's your choice about the medication, sure. yeah, you know, absolutely. when you when you're considering it. But I would hope that people would at least consider the advice of their healthcare professionals. Yes. If yeah, if your counselor is sitting there going, Okay, we've been working on this for a while, it really feels like you may need to examine the possibility mm-hmm. of medication and you're like, No, absolutely not. They know what they're talking about. If they've been working with you and you trust them, like they're not gonna lead you astray. Right. There's kind of two different types of medication when we talk about anxiety medication. There's kind of daily and there's as needed. So daily medications are more like SSRIs, that kind of thing. And they're good for managing the anxiety. So that's things like Prozac, Zoloft, those kind of things you take every day that level you out. But there's also benzodiazepams, which aren't prescribed a whole lot because I think people are very worried that they're highly addictive and they don't want people to be dependent on them. But those are things like Valium and Xanax. So like when people joke about taking a Xanax before a flight, Mm -hmm. that's because they have specific anxiety about that situation and they're taking a Xanax about it. And then things like diet, exercise, sleep, like lifestyle changes that we've kind of talked about before for a lot of different things. That was the thing that I wanted to really stress is that a big part of all of our stress that then maybe leads into the anxiety getting out of control is that we just don't take care of our bodies. We don't sleep enough. We don't eat right. You know, we have too much on our plate and we don't, we don't do self-care. Yes. And so we need to do those things, exercise and find the ways that, that you find pleasure and relaxation. I mean, that sounds overly simplified, but if we would actually all do that, it would it's really It's way easier said than done. Like, it yeah. sounds simple, but yeah, taking I wish, time I wish we to could do, all do self-care it. is not exactly. simple. Yeah. I think the last thing I want to touch on is just kind of the next steps after, because we've talked about the types of anxiety that you could be diagnosed with if you are diagnosed with it, mm-hmm. or the types that you, as you're listening to this and you're like, ooh. <laughs> I think that's me. I think I have social anxiety. Like, mm-hmm. okay, that's fine. First of all, please go get help about that Mm -hmm. but second of all like you can't stop there I I think a lot of the like you kind of phrased it earlier we use the anxiety word more Mm -hmm. I think we're using it an okay amount right now I just think that people don't take it to the next step so I think the problem is that even though anxiety is becoming more common and people are speaking of it more freely they're just kind of stopping there It's great if you know you have anxiety, but it can't just be that because then the danger becomes using it as an excuse instead of a tool to get better. Right. If you are having anxiety that's stopping you from doing work or school or, you know, family things, Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, it's because I have anxiety, and then you just go back in your room. Right. That's not helping you. It's not how you should be handling it if you know you have it. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't just be, oh, I do that because I have anxiety. It should be, okay, I have anxiety. Okay, that's fine. It explains a lot. What am I going to do now? Right. So then you have the responsibility to follow through with that and get help and learn some of your triggers to be more self-aware and figure out coping strategies that are going to be really good for you because there are different coping strategies that work differently for everyone. Exactly. So again, it goes back to the self-awareness thing that we talk about all the time, which is knowing yourself, knowing what causes the anxiety in you and what helps it not to be as bad. That's my PSI. That's my soapbox. That's don't, good. Don't just use any any diagnosis, not just anxiety, but specifically anxiety because right. we're talking about today. Don't just say, I have anxiety, period. Full right. stop. Right. Say, I have, I have anxiety, comma, and this is how I'm dealing with it. That's very good, Anna. Thank you. I like that. That's very good. Thank you. It's my one good point a week. 
<laughs> Just be aware, I think, that anxiety is the kind of thing that can take you downward in a downward spiral very quickly. Yeah. That, you know, you start to feel that anxiety and right away you think, oh, God, now I'm feeling that and now I'm, and everything's going to go to hell now. Yes. Because I, you know, when Anna was talking about the thought stopping and, and using the CBT, that's, I think, really significant when we talk about anxiety and depression both. But to get to a point where you train yourself, where you don't let yourself go down that spiral, that instead, exactly what Anna just said, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to be healthier? What can mm-hmm. I do to be healthier? So, I feel so you're very... agreeing with me. <laughs> I am. I <laughs> usually do. Usually do. Yeah. I usually do. You're the one who doesn't exactly. agree with me. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> That's impossible. I feel very relaxed. Is that because of the rum relaxer we had for our drink today? Maybe relaxing was right in the name. I think that's probably I think it's also named. cathartic to talk about this kind of stuff, hmm. to put it out in the world that this is something that everyone struggles with at some point, mm-hmm. or most people struggle with, I suppose. But I think everyone can at least think of times in their lives that cause them an undue amount of anxiety. So mm-hmm. I think it helps to put this, like, out into a format like this to talk about it to normalize it Mm -hmm. i think normalizing is important so Mm -hmm. i agree all right do you have anything else to add no just a special thank you to our listeners to our what are they called now sipsters our sipsters for sharing this time with us because you are valuable to us (laughs) you lessen our anxiety just by your very existence (laughs) you give us self-care yes our self-care definitely is this. I don't know about I you. Know, but like, totally. <laughs> the end of the week, I need to record an episode with mom. Yes, I agree. But yes, thank you. Thank you, Sipsters, for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all by the name Freudian Sips Pod, as well as our site, FreudianSipsPod.com. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. It's just Freudian Sips Pod everywhere, really. Even Patreon, if you want to support us on Patreon, we are there as well. And please, like I said at the beginning, remember that wherever you're listening to this, if you can, leave us a nice rating and review. It really helps us, and it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. It gives me less anxiety about having to edit this every week. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.